there, this is Christina Borsetti, and you're listening to the And Then Be Well podcast. Hey, hello, and welcome back to another episode of And Then Be Well. I am Christina Borsetti, your coach and host. I don't know why I had to think about that, probably because I'm on day 592 of being sick. And I actually am not really sick, but it feels like it. you can kind of sit, hear something that sounds like I'm pretty nasally, which is more so than the normal nasally that I already sound like. And I swear it's we got I got a little sick before the holiday season and then I was just running on pure adrenaline all through the holiday season. I got my I call it my annual cold because as soon as the holidays are over, ever since I had my daughter, as soon as the holidays are over, I get sick. So whatever was brewing in there, it said, okay, now's the time. And it blossoms within. I get sick. So I was kind of sick for two weeks. I literally, my nose would not stop running for two weeks. And then I started to feel a little bit better. And then all of a sudden I felt really low energy. I go, gosh, is it just continuing on here ends up I get on flow a couple weeks earlier than normal so that was cool and then my daughter comes home from school the other day she says her throat hurts and now she's a little congested and now I'm feeling some sort of way and I know I know in my head that somewhere between November maybe sometimes October but essentially November to let's say April it's runny noses it's congestion we're fighting off all the germs and I know this is happening, it's a reality, but I am fighting this negativity in my head that this always happens to me. Why can't we be healthy? Why can't I just feel good in this moment? And I'm tired of looking old and haggard. (laughs) My latest one was, my mom is in her 70s and she looks better than me than I do today because there are some rough days in the winter here on the East Coast and my face is looking like it sucked all the moisture out of the universe. If you can relate, hopefully you're having a good laugh. And the reason I'm telling you this, because there's always, well, hopefully there's always a point to my stories. But after last week's conversation with Tiniel, if you haven't listened to it, Back on the previous episode, Tanil Hooglin, we were talking about a lot of things having to do with nutrition and training and how do we maintain our integrity to who we say we are. So if we're setting a goal, but it doesn't align with who we are, then we will most likely not reach that goal. So we have to take a self-check and ask ourselves, what's the point? And I was, so from that conversation and talking about perspective and mindsets, then I go into the community groups on Facebook that I'm in and I'm in there because, hey, I'm in perimenopause, early stage perimenopause, and I just like to see and hear what's going on with other women that are in that sphere. So again, I don't feel alone. And I see and hear, I'm reading a lot of negative comments about not just themselves, not saying, oh, I hate the way I look today. I've gained this weight and I just hate myself. I can't stand, you know, dot, dot, dot. It's more of why does this keep happening to me? I've been going through this for so long. Uh, A lot of those deeper, more hurtful feelings that are coming out in the community groups. And so I raised my eyebrows and I said, I got to do an episode on mindset talks. And I also want to bring some science into it because I know I haven't done that in a bit, but I wanted to bring some science into this episode so that we can feel validated in what's happened. We know we're not alone and we can get a better understanding because I do truly feel that when you have even this surface level understanding of what is going on in your body, it changes your perspective or at least 
it can help you in those situations. Even if you're not getting deep into the work, when you get into a situation where you're starting to feel a little negative or you're feeling a little down on yourself, maybe this conversation will pop back up in your head and you'll say, hey, this is actually something that's pretty natural that's happening in my body and then you can manage it and you can walk alongside it. And you might hear me talk about that and say that more in the episode going forward. But this is something really important. Our mental health is probably the most important. If our mental health isn't on and stack, if it's not where it needs to be, then everything else just crumbles underneath that. And one of the other things I was seeing a lot in those community groups was, for instance, I never had anxiety or depression and now I have it and I don't know how to manage it. And if you're someone who has anxiety and depression and you feel out of control, I'm just gonna stop right here and say, please go talk to someone and get some help. Because I wanna let you know, I am not a licensed therapist. I am just providing you with continuing education through certifications that I've received that can really help provide stepping stones and coaching assistance. You should always consult your healthcare providers first. Advocate for yourself with this information, but please don't self-diagnose, which I see and hear a lot is happening on TikTok with teens these days. I don't know what's going on with that. Another podcast for another time. I've been studying uh, CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, Neuro Linguistic Programming, to really, again, understand what is happening as we start to peel back the layers, understanding why we're doing the things we do. A lot of it is just unconscious. Uh, it was actually, I was speaking to my daughter, and it's a good example of kids that really just help you learn so much, right? So I'm talking to my daughter, and I said, why do you why do you continue to push the button if I've already told you to not push it three times? And she just looked at me, <laughs> kind of cocks her eyes off to the side, and is like, I don't know. And isn't that a metaphor for a lot of what we do? Why are we doing these things so unconsciously? We think that they're habits, but they're just these ingrained mechanisms that we've learned over time. And so in today's episode, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what's happening within our bodies and why we might be doing the things that we're doing so that you can start to work on yourself if you want to get into that work or you want to take this to a healthcare provider and you guys can do the work together. Now, that is out of the way. Let's get moving. I'm going to start us off with some history because history is fun. Aristotle, who lived in 384 to 322 BC, wrote, Emotions are all those feelings that so change men as to affect their judgments and that are also attended by pain or pleasure, such as anger, pity, fear, and the like with their opposites. The word emotion actually wasn't coined until the early 1800s by a guy named Thomas Brown. And it wasn't until about the 1830s that the modern concept of emotion first emerged for the English language. So apparently nobody felt emotions before 1830, which I find really hard to fathom a time when people didn't discuss or address their feelings. Cause I feel that's all we're doing these days, which is good. We want to discuss our feelings, but can you imagine a time where nobody knew what to call their emotions or how to address them with one another? And that just seems like such a crazy time. It actually makes me think about all those photos when no one is smiling, just dead eyes to the world. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving forward, in 1884, William James created the theory of emotion, which says there are a set of basic emotions such as anger, and that each of these emotions has its own associated physical state or emotional 
measurement, we'll call it. We feel these emotional measurements in the body when our brain sends neurotransmitters along the nervous system, which can trigger the release of hormones into the endocrine system, which are then carried around the body into our blood. Whew, that was a mouthful. Don't worry, you don't have to write that down. Okay, two things here, maybe three. One, the history lesson was just for history's sake because it's totally cool to learn new things and that in theory, we haven't been feeling our feels for longer than about 192 years. And given how long it takes us to adapt per the theories of science, learning how to manage them fuels the idea that in order to change, it is certainly going to be a long game. So give yourself a break if you're doing some work. Number two, what are neurotransmitters you ask? Well, I'm happy to channel my Bill Nye the science guy self here. They are small molecules whose function is to transmit nerve signals, aka impulses, from one nerve cell or neuron to another. Their influence on our thoughts and motivations, ability to learn and concentrate are short-lived. However, repeated synaptic activities can have long-lasting effects on the receptor neuron to include structural changes and formation of new synapses. An example I found was the learning process which completely relates to today's episode. If you just hang with me through all the science stuff, I promise it's going to be good. The more you study and repeat, the more synapses are created in your brain and enabled to retrieve that information when needed. Let's go one further. I thought about when a thought causes you stress. So just think of a time when you were stressed or some thought stressed you out. Maybe it was you had to go to a social event and you weren't prepared, you didn't have the right clothes to wear, you were rushing from work, it was just a crazy time and you started to get stressed just thinking about getting there and all the things therein. That's just me. <laughs> There's this physical release of neurotransmitters and a chemical, aka hormones, in the body that will change how you feel. These feelings can be detected in your body and sent back to the brain. And all this affects how we choose to behave. Now think of how you may feel or are feeling if you're in chronic stress. Like just take a pause for a second. If a thought causes you stress and there's a physical release of these neurotransmitters and the chemicals in the body that change how you feel, physically change how you feel and how you behave, and you're constantly in stress, your cortisol is constantly high, you're constantly in stress, I, I, your body becomes inflamed. Your body is constantly, just think about how when you get stressed, what happens to your body when you're stressed? You're, maybe you're clenching, you're angry, you, you're withdrawn. How your body reacts to stress, that just, again, that kind of just blows my mind a little bit. So that is something, it's fascinating and it makes me feel more in tune with what is happening in my body. Number two, <laughs> you thought we were there already, but number two, did you catch the word hormones? Hormones are chemicals that coordinate different functions in your body by carrying messages through your blood to your organs, your skin, your muscles, and your other tissues. So when your neurotransmitters are imbalanced, they may cause significant hormone imbalances by association. That's what they always say, like when you're stressed out, your hormones are, are affected by that. That's what's happening because you're sending those neurotransmitters out. And if you're doing that on a repetitive basis, just think of just like scrambled. I think of you know some science video where they have all the little atoms just <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, guys. I'll have to find a science video that does that and I'll upload it for you. 
But furthermore, I'm raising the monocle to my eye. In a PubMed study, which I'll make sure to link all this stuff in the show notes, they say fluctuations in progesterone and estradiol are associated with increased vulnerability for mood disorders, whereas testosterone is mainly associated with social dominance, aggressive, and antisocial behavior. So to sum that up, (laughs) emotions are labels on physical reactions internally and externally. So let's think about when you smile, when there's so, when you see somebody smile, that joy in their face, you think that they're happy, right? Chemical reactions are hormonal reactions. Neurotransmitters are short-lived, but on repeat can cause structural changes. I feel like that's so important. And when our hormones are adapting and or fluctuating, like they are in perimenopause and menopause, we are more vulnerable to mood disorders. I should just stop the podcast episode there, (laughs) mic drop. But hopefully that really resonates with you because I want you to, like I said earlier, feel validated and to know that what you may be feeling is not in your head. If you've gone to a doctor or they've written you off, they think they're giving you those crazy, you're crazy vibes, you're not crazy. There are physical, actual reactions happening in your body by the way of natural emotions and reactions to external stressors, your environment, and your internal stressors. And due to this, there's potential structural changes and hormonal shifts are happening, right? Those hormonal shifts are happening and our body is behaving in a different way. Okay, that was the harder science stuff. Let's talk about what's happening when it comes to the more eluding category of thoughts and beliefs. Memory affects our actions. Duh, but memory can be divided into working memory, so that's short-term memory, and long-term memory, also duh. You probably already know this. Working memory holds a very limited amount of information, right, for a short amount of time. However, we can keep the information in working memory using rehearsal, a.k.a. repeating. So I want you to hang on to that word there because remember, if we're repeating the same neurotransmitting synaptic (laughs) reactions. We're repeating it, we're changing, right? We're creating this structural change. And we wanna keep information from our short-term memory and bring it into our long-term memory, we're gonna keep repeating it. So notice there's a theme here. If we're constantly feeding ourselves negative inputs and words, an input could be the things that you read on Facebook, the books that you read, the TV you watch, the conversations you have, and the words that we also say to ourselves and how other people are speaking to us. This becomes ingrained into our long-term memory. These become the stories you tell ourselves. In the process of encoding information to your long-term memory and the process of bringing it up later, they're not foolproof and that they don't always work perfectly and information can get lost or be distorted. So I just think of a memory that say you and a friend or a family member have. You guys were both at the same event. Let's, let's say it was Thanksgiving dinner this past year and you were both there and you were saying, oh, I had, so, I had such a great time and I loved the sweet potato casserole. And then your family member said, I didn't have a great time, but I really liked the green bean casserole. <laughs> and you have two completely different stories having to do with this one time you meet up and the both of you guys are looking at each other like, mm, we are we both at the same event? It's because the memories we store are based on what we're paying attention to. 
We can only pay attention to one thing at a time. So this is something to keep in mind, even though you know you're shifting all over the place, especially if you're mom and you're a caretaker, you're just, you're literally shifting between two things at once. You're talking to somebody, you're managing something, you might be on the phone picking something off the floor, but you're really only focusing on one thing at a time and then your brain is doing this constant shifting. I feel like when we get upset at our brain fog, that it's just a matter of brain fatigue and overuse like everything else over the years from constantly shifting from one thing to the next rather than focusing on and being more intentional with the one thing or a couple of things, which I know is not always an option, especially when we're caretaking our parents, but it's something to consider, which is not part of really, we're going to explore more of that in this episode, but something to consider that if you are feeling a lot of stress in your life and you are feeling some sort of way that take a look around you and you might need to be able to create some more space in your life. But coming back into the episode and talking about today's case, hyperattentiveness could go awry. And what I mean by that is when we're talking to ourselves or again, that input we're putting into our body. So we can create what is called a memory bias. And I'm sure you've heard this before. This could go wrong if, for instance, you are worried about going to, let's say, a new workout class. You haven't worked out for a long time and you're going to go to a new workout class and you start to worry about, am I going to get there on time? Am I wearing the right outfit? Is somebody going to look at me and not doing the right thing? I'm going to get called out. Da, 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 da. And rather than experiencing the pleasure of it, I'm going to go, it's going to be a great time. It's a new experience. I'm going to work out. I'm going to get my adrenaline pumping. I'm going to have those after workout vibes, hooty hoo, all that good stuff. Now, another experience of one of my, that one of my teachers used could be if you were involved in a car crash, that memory may be more readily available because of the high emotion associated with it and how frequently you're accessing that thought. You will not think of all the times you haven't gotten into a car accident. So I've been in, let's see, one, two, three car accidents. One was my own. I'm not going to say it was my own fault, okay? I'm just going to put it there. It wasn't my own fault. We're going down a rotary in Massachusetts, which, okay, Massachusetts, enough with the rotaries. And I'm going around this rotary, and this person dead stops, and I end up, you know, knuckling him from behind, and I got in trouble. However, the other two times were not my fault. And so I would have constantly, I'll constantly think about that now if I'm in a car with another person, because I'm thinking, what if they look off to the left real quick? Because that's essentially what happened. It's like that one blink of a moment second, right? That happens and then the car accident happens. So I'll be in my head going, okay, I've got to try to be in control of this moment. And think about flight anxiety. That's a huge one for a lot of people. So maybe you've hit some bad turbulence one or two times, but what about all the times you've been on a plane that you haven't? And this memory bias leads us to think that we're that driving or flying is more dangerous than it is. And then once we form this belief, the brain then seeks additional evidence to confirm it. So we're talking to other people, we're looking up stories online in the news to try to see if there are other bad flight experiences or collisions in the news. And then this is called confirmation bias. You're confirming your bias. It's a slippery slope. Another example of processing bias, and in my education, I use this example, that imagine we walk past a friend on the street and they ignore us. If we believe our friend generally likes us, we are more likely to interpret that as, oh, they were distracted and didn't see us. However, if we're struggling with depressive thoughts or we're having a really low day, we may interpret that as, my friend doesn't like me. Oh, now you start thinking, I haven't talked to them in a while. Was it something that I said last time? And you just start to go over these thoughts in your head. So it's the same situation with two different interpretations. It's that we call sort of adaptive and then maladaptive thinking. 
So we have this one event, that activating event, we have thoughts around the belief, and we create a would-be consequence. It's called the ABC model, activating the event, that's A, beliefs, and then consequences. The activating event is our friend ignoring us in the street. The event itself does not cause us any stress. Say that word again, distress. <laughs> it is only when we interpret, that's the key word, this event through our beliefs that it becomes distressing. So if you're still with me, I promise I'm going to circle all this back. Just got to keep checking in with you guys. Make sure you're listening. Sometimes our interpretations are accurate. However, sometimes they are not. And when they are not, we can fall into predictable patterns. Repetition breeds patterns. Remember when I was talking about the information processing into long-term memory, synapse reconstruction, perhaps you've glazed over, but let's bring it back in. When we have this belief system, we can begin to think in absolute or all or nothing terms. Like I'm always sick. It's always my luck. Nobody likes me. I can't imagine. I can't imagine having a healthy relationship. I'm always tired. I'm always exhausted. I'm always lazy. I am stupid. Dot, dot, dot. Or persistent doubting, like when a friend ignored us that one time, but thinking they must not like us, even though you don't have any previ previous evidence of this. It's funny, like, yes, I can relate way as I'm reading these, how many examples for myself I can give and still catch myself doing, especially growing up as a people pleaser. I'm curious to hear actually if any of you guys can relate. So if you're listening to these, send me an email after the show and let me know if any of these resonated with you. Continuing on. We can quote unquote mind read, which I like to do with my husband, <laughs> assuming that he knows what I'm thinking and that I assume what he is thinking. The intolerance of uncertainty, which is requiring an unrealistic standard of proof. And we can live by fixed rules of should and must. And that causes a lot of doubt and fear. We constantly focus on the negative and look for others to identify with. So remember that misery loves company? I know many people that every situation ends in a complaint or what was wrong about, insert the story tale. I was someone admittedly for a long time that did this and had to identify that pattern where it was rooted and make a concerted effort to change it. And honestly, it is still a work in progress. Believe it or not, I know you guys think that I'm just wicked perfect. <laughs> just kidding. It is a long game, 100%. Take a moment to think if you're interpreting events in your life in any of these ways. It's a good first step to identifying patterns that are not serving your health or your mental state. So maybe you take a pause in the episode right now and you just... Break out a piece of paper if you're not driving, of course, or you can take a pause and bring up your voice notes as long as, again, you're safely not driving. <laughs> Maybe you're in the passenger seat and you're comfortable with the person next to you that you can have this conversation out loud, but taking a pause for a second and going over any recent events in your life where these things may have come up. Now, the other thing I want to talk about here is core beliefs. You always hear people, myself included, discussing core beliefs. It is as simple as the beliefs we've been telling ourselves for years and now are a part of the threads of who we think we are and how the world is. And there are three categories. There are internal beliefs, which are broken into adaptive and maladaptive. And all three of these categories have these adaptive and maladaptive. I said that earlier briefly, but adaptive is more of those positive thinking thoughts. I kind of think of them as mantras, I am statements. And then your maladaptive is the negative thinking patterns. So for internal beliefs, you might say something like, I honor how my body feels. I am an intelligent person. I treat everyone with kindness. I can handle how I react. Whereas a maladaptive thought or belief, really more a belief, sorry, maladaptive belief is I can't do anything right. I fail every time. Nobody likes me. I can't do the thing. 
Two, then we have these meta-beliefs that are descriptions of our thoughts about thoughts and thinking patterns or beliefs arising from and existing in thoughts or beliefs about thinking. Confusing? Absolutely. I would say that what your beliefs on politics, so a thought about a thought, time, spirituality, for example. Example of that. I am allowed to feel grace. I'm allowed to rest. I'm allowed to take this time for myself. Everyone has the right to believe whatever they want versus maladaptive. If I don't worry about this thing, I won't be safe. I can't change. And here's a side note from a 2020 study stating maladaptive metacognitive beliefs potentiate the effect of emotional reactivity on anxiety, which only seems understandable given that we are telling ourselves that if we don't worry, then we can't be safe and thus we are always worrying, which we will come back to in a few minutes. Number three, third and final, external beliefs about the world. Adaptive, the world is a safe place. No, it's not. <laughs> People have good intentions versus maladaptive, the world is unsafe, trust no one. To be honest, this is all a little confusing at first. Beliefs about thoughts, about thoughts, about beliefs. Like slow down, Sally, <laughs> lost me at memory bias. Important thing to remember here is take heed of what you repeatedly feed your brain. This includes running through the same negative thoughts again and again and again. And the more we repeat the words, the more we believe the thoughts, the deeper we ingrain the belief. And then we feel it in our emotions, which translates into how our body reacts and behaves. If we're consistently worried and we're constantly ruminating, which can often happen on autopilot, like I was saying earlier, sometimes we just do these things, those thoughts are on repeat in our minds and playing out in our lives. You're watering those maladaptive thoughts. We need to catch those suckers, not just try to suppress or run away from them. Just trying to, quote unquote, not think about it, especially when someone is telling you to just stop it, which there is science in how our brain reacts to that, it can be extremely unhelpful. So if you were in a negative headspace and asking why your friend ignored you and thinking it's because they don't like you, your behavior can then become withdrawn or antisocial. And honestly, when those things start to happen, being withdrawn and antisocial, they say it can be even worse for you than, I don't know, eating a bag of Doritos every single day. So what is better is to face the situation head on. I actually had a friend seeing a therapist who told her to hold the bird, which is essentially become uncomfortable, allowing the sensations of all the emotions around those thoughts and beliefs to arise as if you were holding a flittering bird in your palms, desperately wants to fly away. And when you are worrying and you're ruminating and you're staying within a specific thought pattern, which in turn is that repetitiveness, you are molding a belief rather than facing it forward. Okay, friends, I said I was going to bring it full circle and here we go. How do we move away from negative self-talk and be kinder to ourselves so that we can feel better emotionally, physically? And you know what I'm going to say because I've said it before, you need to become self-aware. And how do you become self-aware? A, you need to want to make a change, truly, deeply want to make the change. Not because somebody else is influencing you to make the change. It has to align with who you say you are, who you say you want to be. You have to align yourself. You really need to want to make the change and it has to align with who you are. So you have to take, B, you have to take some time. You have to slow your roll and find time for some quality introspection with yourself and on repeat so that you can, number one, recognize your negative thoughts and how you were feeling and what feelings arose at that time. Did you feel stressed? Did you feel anxious, frenetically energetic, or deeply sad? You want to look for patterns in the thoughts and what emotions are arising with them. 
This will help you troubleshoot how to best meet them and manage them. You hold the bird. You can't see me, but I'm winking. <laughs> With this exercise, it's best to do this at a time when you are in a better headspace. You probably heard somewhere someone say, you can't create a solution from within the problem. Exactly. So if you are mid PMS, ruminating and having a negative thought field day, there are ways you can handle and manage your emotions and thoughts, but it may not be the best time to squat into the hard work. Okay. As I stated earlier, we don't want to fire up negative thoughts that will be on repeat and turn into beliefs. So the next step is number two, look for evidence that your thought is true and a list for why this thought is not true. Just take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle or do one in front and one back, whatever suits you fancy. And if you're having a tough time getting out what is not true, I like to propose this. What would you say to your dearest confidant? If they were having a tough time, or what would you say to little kid you, that inner child? <laughs> who would you, who would you say to little kid you, or who, what would you say to your your child if you, regardless of how old they are, what would you say to your child to encourage them? Speak to yourself from there and talk it through with yourself, or take that sheet, sit with your therapist and walk it through, or a non-biased friend or a coach, finding someone who can help probe further. Side note, some beliefs will be rooted so deep from childhood or even have young adult experiences that in this case, I encourage you to speak with a mental health practitioner that has the proper tools to help you. This is a really good place to start. And we're going to continue on to number three, reframing. Once you've looked at the evidence on both sides of the equation, you jot down a more adaptive statement. So a more positive statement, create a realistic adaptive statement. So what I mean by that is as if it is already happening, but it can be something you can realistically achieve. So it could be, um, I never have enough money. And then you write down all the things and all the reasons why you think you don't and all the reasons why you do think you have enough money. And you realize, wait, I am actually financially blessed. So there is a statement, I am financially blessed. I know how to manage my finances, something to that effect. Okay. Another one could be you have the thought all bad things happen to me all the time. And you listed all your reasons for and against it. You're a lawyer going through it with a fine tooth comb and you come up with all of those wonderful reasons for you. You write out, I am blessed beyond my means or life is full of ebbs and flows. God didn't say life would be easy. I can be calm in the midst of the storm. Fourth and final step, repeat, repeat, repeat. There's that word again. Remember what I said about creating beliefs, taking it back all the way to the neurotransmitters and synapse reactions. Think of it as simply as any skill you've ever learned and still do today. Driving, eating solids, reading, writing, asking your husband to figure out the tip. <laughs> that could just be me. You repeat it again and again. All the psychological stuff aside, repeat and become the person you say you are and in that you create your core structure of beliefs and the evidence weighs heavily in the column of good. One more science note, I want you to remember that our brains can have a negativity bias. I know I probably should have said this at the top of the episode, but it's true. The human brain has a natural tendency to give weight to and remember negative experiences or interactions more than positive ones because negative stimuli trigger more neural activity. And research shows negativity is detected more quickly and easily. The difficulty isn't that we have negative thoughts. The problem comes when we believe our thoughts are true. That's from Barbara Markway, PhD. Therefore, you are not some negative Nancy. It's science. But we can choose to be aware and attempt to change our thoughts to create positive beliefs. 
Believe you are strong. Believe you are good. Believe you are capable. Believe you are worthy. Believe you are intelligent. Believe you are beautiful. Believe you are healthy. Believe you are alive and that you are thriving. And get the support you need. If time is hindering finding that help, that therapy, coach, etc., think of the time spent in those negative thought patterns and how it may have already stolen from your life. Then think of the things you could be doing and achieving if you were living in a more positive place. All right, folks, that's all for today. Hopefully you found something within this podcast. Maybe it was the history. Maybe it was the science. Something in there that really resonated with you that's going to help you feel better in this moment that you are in. If you want to learn more, I'll link in the show notes, all those scientific references. And lastly, if you are experiencing hormonal changes and it's affecting how you're thinking of yourself in the world, let's create some healthy patterns together. I have an aligning action call, which is essentially a time for you and I to talk, really for you to talk and for me to listen. And then we're going to create a goal and a plan for you to jumpstart or continue on the journey that you kind of fell off of somewhere along the way. It can be health. It can be life. It can be business. Let's open up the doors to the conversation. I'm here for it. If you want to go deeper, we can do more custom one-on-one, a longer program. We can talk about that too. I'm here as a resource for you. And I'm, I'm not the person Then I'm going to find the person who is, and I'm going to invite people onto the show that are going to be resources for you as well. And I'm in the works of trying to create something on my website so that you can more easily go back and access these individuals and all the goodness that they have to offer. Next week, tune in for a little less science. I promise I'll give your working memory a little break and we will tap into a little more of that biblical loving. Thank you again so much for joining me today. I can't wait to talk with you again in the future. Get more great interviews on the horizon. I got my hands in the air, doing a little wave. I'm very excited for the people that are up and coming in the months ahead. And they're just going to talk about, again, things that are happening in midlife. We're going to encourage you. We're going to give you tactical, tangible things that you can do in this part of your life. And as always, take what you need, leave what you don't, and then be well. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope that you found it motivating. Enough so to hit that follow button or screenshot the episode, send it to a friend in need, or tag me on social media because community is everything. With that said, if you have a question or you're looking for a very specific answer, please reach out to me at christina at thenbewell.com. You can head over to my website of the same name or find me on social media. Just reach out. It's a safe space to share what's going on with you and of course share feedback as well. With that said, have an incredible day and I will talk with you soon.